This is not going to be a pleasant experience. You are going to see and hear things that are not going to be very nice. Experts divide serial killing into two general types: organized and disorganized. An organized killer brings everything he needs to complete the murder. A disorganized killer improvises. Begin. Listener discretion is advised. Sheila Kirby was born in December 1949 in Michigan. When she was seven, she was diagnosed with rheumatic heart disease. The disease nearly killed her, but she survived. However, she ended up missing an entire year of school and was left with a weak heart. As she grew up, Jeanette wanted to get into law enforcement. But because of her bad ticker, she couldn't. Nevertheless, she took courses in law enforcement in college. She hoped to get a desk job like a dispatcher. Instead, she became a Medicare analyst. In the spring of 1986, 36-year-old Jeanette Kirby lived alone in a house in Lansing, Michigan. She was divorced and didn't have any children. Every morning, she went to her parents' house to have breakfast with her mother before going to work. On June 11th, she didn't show up for breakfast or go to work. Her family instantly became worried because this was very out of character for her. Jeanette's parents reported her missing that evening. Her family also started searching for her. But that night, they had to stop searching because there were terrible thunderstorms in the area. The next day, her family continued looking for her. Jeanette's aunt told the television program, Stolen Voices, Buried Secrets, that Jeanette had recently started going to a park called Riverbend Natural Area in nearby Holt, Michigan. They got a bad feeling when they pulled into the parking lot. Jeanette's car was parked there, and there was a ticket on her windshield for parking overnight so they called the police. The police, plus friends and family, began searching the park for her. The first day, they didn't find anything. The next morning, on the riverbanks in the park, a searcher found the dead body of 36-year-old Jeanette Kirby. Her clothes had been cut off and her hands were bound behind her back with a zip tie. But these were no usual zip ties. Instead, it was a zip cuff the police used to handcuff people. The difference between a zip cuff and a zip tie used by civilians is that zip cuffs have a metal tab in the plastic head, while the ones civilians use have a plastic tab. The metal tab makes the flex cuffs much stronger. Flex cuffs are also much harder to get a hold of because they are police issued and you can't just purchase them at a place like a hardware store. 
so the police suspected that someone in law enforcement may have killed Jeanette. Here is a quick word from our sponsor. We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. Classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and last but not least. Weekly Health and Fitness Corner. Also, check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast, for that real life on the go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. It's Nasty Boy CC the truest story never told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. Her throat had been slashed. She had also been stabbed once in each lung and once in the heart. However, there were no signs that she had been sexually assaulted. Unfortunately, the rain had destroyed a lot of potential evidence. Nevertheless, the police searched the area around the body. The day after the body was found, they made a shocking discovery. The shocking discovery was the decomposing body of another woman. The body was floating in the river. It was the body of a woman in her 20s. Like Jeanette, she had been a short white woman with brown hair. Also, both victims had been stabbed. A week after the second body was discovered, the police identified her as 26-year-old Cynthia Ann Miller. Cynthia had lived with her parents in Mason, Michigan. On the night of November 25, 1985, Cynthia left her parents' home and told them that she would be returning that night. When they didn't see or hear from her after a few days, they reported her missing. After her body was discovered, the police were sure that the same person had killed both women because there were too many similarities between the victims. The police first looked at Jeanette's ex-husband, but he was in a different state at the time of the murders, so he was cleared as a suspect. Jeanette had casually dated, but all the men she dated were cleared as suspects. So no arrests were made in the days after the discovery of the bodies. Then about a month after the bodies were found, the police received a tip that two men 35-year-old Earl Jack Fox and 24-year-old Robert Joseph Jones killed Cynthia Ann Miller. There was an outstanding warrant for Jones, so they arrested him. Jones claimed he was only a witness to the murder. He said that he and Fox were driving when they came across Cynthia hitchhiking in the rain. They picked her up and brought her back to Fox's home. Cynthia got over wet clothes and they were put in the dryer. Fox suggested that she have sex with both of them and Cynthia supposedly said that would cost them money. 
Jones said that Fox tied Cynthia to a bed and then raped her. Afterward, he stabbed her and then dragged her body into the bathtub. He then submerged her body in the water. Afterward, he dragged her body into the basement and stuffed it into a cubby hole. The police talked to several friends and family members of Fox and Jones. One of them was Jones's mother, who was in a sexual relationship with Fox. She told an odd story of visiting Fox's home and he gave her a tour. It ended with him showing her the body in the basement. Another friend of Fox said that he got the same tour. He also said he helped Fox throw the body in the river. He said he did it because Fox had threatened to kill him. Fox and Jones also talked about the murder to several other people. In these stories, Jones just wasn't a witness, but also a participant. Jones told people he had raped Cynthia and stabbed her. Then Fox strangled her to finish her off. Together, they dragged the body into the bathtub. Then they took her down to the cubbyhole. Fox was arrested a few days after Jones was arrested. Both men said that they had nothing to do with Jeanette's murder. They said that the fact that their bodies were found within a few hundred yards of each other was merely a coincidence. However, the police didn't believe them. The police had sketches of people who were seen in the park around the time Jeanette was murdered. Earl Fox resembled one of the sketches. However, after an extensive investigation, the police were able to confirm their alibis and they were able to clear them as suspects in Jeanette's murder. Earl Fox went to trial in January 1987 for the murder of Cynthia Miller. He was found guilty of first-degree murder. He was sentenced to life in prison. Robert Jones went to trial in February 1987. After five days of testimony and three hours of jury deliberation, he was found guilty of second-degree murder. He was sentenced to 60 to 90 years of prison. Unfortunately, Jeanette Kirby's case went cold. Four years later, the police thought they caught a break in the case. A man named David Dreheim was arrested for attempting to kidnap a woman in Leland, Michigan, which is over 200 miles away from where Jeanette was killed. Dreheim was a 33-year-old worker at Wastewater Management Facility. He had served in the Marines and he was also a volunteer firefighter. A woman had been driving on a nicely country road when Dreheim pulled up behind her. He was driving a pickup truck with police style lights on the roof. He turned on the lights and she pulled over. He got out of his truck and walked towards her car. He had a police hat on but he didn't have the rest of the uniform. He ordered her to get out of the car and she obeyed. He then tried to get her into his vehicle, but she resisted. Dreheim had a gun and he fired it into the air. When another car drove by, Dreheim became spooked and fled. The police started looking for the vehicle and the gas station attendant remembered it. 
He said the driver purchased gas with a credit card. He gave the credit card receipt to the police. It turned out that Dreheim had been vacationing close to Leland. But his home was just two miles away from where Jeanette had been murdered. He worked just a mile away from where she was killed. A search of Dreheim's truck was conducted. Inside it, they found a knife and zip ties. The police also noticed similarities between the attempted abduction and Jeanette's murder. The police thought that Jeanette's killer may have approached her under the pretense of being a police officer. Also, both women were approached while they were alone in an isolated area. But then, the police hit a roadblock. The zip ties were from a different manufacturer than the one used on Jeanette. Also, the knife found in Drahem's truck was not the knife that was used to kill Jeanette. The knife in his truck was much larger. The police asked Dreheim to take a polygraph exam and he agreed. He denied killing Jeanette and he passed. After David Dreheim was arrested for the attempted kidnapping, another woman came forward with a horrifying story. She was a waitress and she said that one night as she was driving home, one of her tires became flat. She said that Dreheim stopped and offered to let her use his home phone. She agreed and they went to his house. Once there, Dreheim pulled out a gun and then raped her several times. He let her go, but he said he would kill her if she told anyone. David Dreheim went to trial for that kidnapping and rape in October 1990. He was found guilty. A month later, he was sentenced to 40 to 80 years in prison. Here is a quick word from our sponsor. We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. Classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and last but not least, Weekly Health and Fitness Corner. Also, check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast, for that real life on the go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. It's Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. Another nine years went by. Then, in 1999, Muriel Kirby, Jeanette's mother, had a meeting with Michigan's Attorney General. Muriel decided to take action after her husband and Jeanette's father died. She told Forensic Files that he became angry after his daughter's murder and he never let go of that anger. 
the Attorney General agreed to assign investigators to the case. When the police reopened the case in 1999, they realized they had a major problem. They had no physical evidence like footprints, fingerprints, or DNA. The police decided to examine the three main suspects, Earl Fox, Robert Jones, and David Draheim. It wasn't hard to find any of the men. They were all still in prison, serving their sentences for the crimes that brought them to the attention of the investigators in the first place. The police decided to reinvestigate them just to be sure. They were again able to confirm that Fox and Jones had airtight alibis. When the police went to talk to Dreheim about the murder, he refused to speak. So the police started talking to Dreheim's friends and family. This included an old roommate named Mark Greco. He told investigators that while he was living with Dreheim, he had purchased a former state police car. In the trunk, he found a package of police-issued flex cuffs. Greco took one of the flex cuffs and gave the package to Dreheim. The police asked Greco if he had the flex cuff after all this time. He said that he did. He brought it to the police station that night. The police compared it to the flex cuff used about Jeanette Kirby. They looked almost identical. The police thought it was strange that Greco had kept the flex tie for 13 years. So the police questioned him regarding the murder of Jeanette. He denied being involved and he took a polygraph exam. He passed the exam. It turned out that Greco was a self-described pack rat and he rarely threw anything out. When he lived with Dreheim, he was working as a security guard. He had put the flex cuff in the brim of his security guard's hat. This is common practice in law enforcement. He just never threw the hat out. Greco agreed to testify that he gave the rest of the flex cuffs to Dreheim. Well, the police didn't think that two flex cuffs looking alike would be enough to sway a jury. After all, the flex cuffs were used by police departments all over the United States. So they wanted to see if there was a way to connect the pair of flex cuffs scientifically. They went to the factory that manufactured them. The investigators learned that the metal taps are cut with a blade. As they are cut, the blade wears down, creating distinctive marks on the end of each tab. A forensic expert with the state police compared the tab from the flex cuff used to bound Jeanette and the tab from the flex cuff that Mark Greco had. Under a microscope, he saw that both cuts were almost identical. The expert said he would not have been surprised if the two tabs had been cut consecutively. The police finally felt that they had enough evidence to charge Dreheim. The police finally felt that they had enough evidence to charge Dreheim with Jeanette's murder. But the police wanted to ensure that Dreheim was convicted because they wouldn't get another shot. So they found women who would testify that Dreheim would forcibly put flex cuffs on them. Dreheim's wife also had an interesting bit of information. She said that he often went jogging with a fanny pack containing zip ties. 
in April 2001, 15 years after Jeanette's murder, 44-year-old David Dreheim was charged with the murder. He went to trial in June 2001. The trial lasted two weeks. Then the jury deliberated for 21 hours over three days. They returned with a verdict of not guilty of first-degree murder. But he was found guilty of second-degree murder. In July 2001, he was sentenced to 60 to 90 years of prison. 66-year-old David Dreheim is currently serving a sentence at the Saginaw Correctional Facility in Freeland, Michigan. He'll be able to apply for parole in January 2050 when he's 93 years old. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you. We have a great show today, but first, take a second to make sure you've subscribed to our show wherever you're listening to podcasts. It's the best way to make sure you don't miss any of our episodes. Thanks. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you.